get there, but here we go. And God saw that everything he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now after reading this text, what word stands out to you, especially after the way I read it? Work, of course, right? Now historically, where in time are we in the, in the Bible here? Before sin, before the fall, before man and woman disobeyed God and his commands. This is in the perfect world, in the Garden of Eden. Everything's perfect. God's a worker. God was working before the fall of man, and he's working today. Now, for those of you who prefer New Testament references, here's one at John 5, 17. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, or if my father is still working, and I am working. We also see various places in Genesis that man was working before sin was in the world. Did you hear that? Man was working before sin entered the world. Genesis 1, 27-30. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Let me, let me just slow down and read that again. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created him. Now I'm not going to get hung up on here, but our world tells us something completely different today, and I'm not going to gloss over that fact. There are two genders, male and female. That's how God made them. That's how he intended it, and that's how it will be. But... I want to keep cruising right along. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. Also see in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God put man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now you see, God was a worker, and he expects us to be a worker. And that's in your notes and your bulletins. God is a worker, and he expects us to be a worker. So when you and I think of work, we rarely think of it before the fall, before sin entered the world. See, we tend to think of it according to our experiences in our life and how, how we've experienced things so far, which is in a fallen world. Now, the fall place takes in Genesis chapter 3, where we see the first historical blame game recorded. So, both man and woman sin, and they take a bite of the apple, knowledge of good and evil. And God knows this is going on, and, he, and, so the, and man knew that something was wrong. So I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit. Uh, so they were afraid, so they made, take, took leaves and tried to cover up their nakedness. Now, God comes down. Now, he's all-knowing and all-powerful, but he asked the question anyway, kind of like a mom and dad do on a Saturday morning when they already know what the teenager did on a Friday night or... Uh, what a lawyer does in the courtroom for all the, the lawyers out in the crowd, that lawyer never asks a question in court that he already doesn't know that or she doesn't know the answer to. God knew what happened. He said, what's going on, Adam? Uh, well, we were hiding because we, uh, we were ashamed we were naked. Well, who told you we were naked? So then you see the first blame game goes on, and, and Adam's like blames his wife. Nah, she, that woman you gave me, she's the one that did it. She told me to eat of this. And then when he looks at Eve and says, well, what's going on? Well, that serpent. She, he, so, he, so he judges Satan right there on the spot, and he, and he curses the earth. So what we have here is a fallen world now. 
and what we also have is sin separating God from man. Now, before we move on, I don't want you to miss this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. This is very important. Don't miss this. Genesis 3, 21 said, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now, remember, they were afraid, and they were ashamed, and they tried to cover themselves with leaves. And their attempts didn't work. So what you see here is the very first sacrifice for sin. And the very first sacrifice that was given was made by God himself in the garden. And don't miss the fact that they were made of skins. For skins to be used to clothe them, innocent blood had to be shed. Innocent animals were, were, were sacrificed right then and there. And what happened was, even though God had nothing to do with it, it was all man, God took away that shame that Adam and Eve felt, and he provided the sacrifice. You know, and Adam said, uh, or God said to Adam in, in 3.17, because you have listened to your voice, the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you not to, you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now what got cursed there? The ground. Work is not a part of the curse. Because of sin, the ground is cursed, not the activity of the work. We are commanded to subdue the earth and have dominion over it, and this requires work. Now there will be thistles and thorns in our lives. Sometimes they're literal. For those of you who are in agriculture and like the garden, you know there's, there's literal weeds and thistles and thorns. Sometimes they're metaphorical. But we were going to have struggle in our daily lives. But we will work. That is part of God's plan. So that brings us where we are today. We live and work in a fallen world. We all seem to be searching for relief from the effects of our work. A lot of our struggles come from a flaw in our approach to how we live our lives. See, we tend to compartmentalize what we do, don't we? Uh, there's church life and home life and work life. So there's church chuck, and then there's golf course chuck, and then there's camping chuck. And no, no, there should be no distinction between secular and sacred. How we tend to live our lives tend to fall in these two categories of working for self or working for God. So that's your question. It's in your bulletin too, is that you need to ask yourself that, are you doing your work for God or for self? Now, to help you analyze that, we all want you, we're going to break this down and do a quick case study on that. Let's take a look at the first one there, working for self. self. Now, if you have your Bibles, it should be on the screen too, but we're going, we're cruising all the way to Genesis. We're going to go to uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verse 18 through 23. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 23. Now, this is written by Solomon, son of David, and this kind of depicts on how what life is like without, uh, without God in it. Now, this is what the Word of God said. I hated all my toil, or you can translate that work, but I hated all my toil, which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all which I toiled, or worked, and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair, and over all the toil of my labors under the sun." Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of his heart which he, with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. So here we see Solomon at the top of his game 
the top of the mountain, the richest man in the world, the smartest man in the world, he's got it all. Anything that he can or desires to do, he can do. He's got it all at his fingertips. He can do whatever he wants. He's like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Elon Musk and all these guys are all rolled into one. He can do anything he wants. He's that kind of guy. He's, he's got that kind of power and that kind of wealth. And he's there. Everything's at his fingertips. And he gets to the top of the mountain and he looks around and he goes, nope, this ain't it. There's nothing here for me. Life without God is there is no meaning. We strive for things that make us happy and they won't. So what Solomon was looking for and didn't find, you, won't look, you can look for it, but you won't find it either. Now here's the kicker to that. Most of Solomon's works or efforts were directed at his own pleasures. It wasn't towards the betterment of society. It was for his own pleasures. He built pools and parks and all kinds of things. It was all, it was all his own desires and his hobbies. And isn't that like us? We work so hard to be happy. Now, here's your one-liner you take away for the day here. I'm going to give you one one-liner that I love to use. Here it is. God is more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. Let me just say that again. God is more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. Because you know why? He knows that when your, your work as a Christian is centered around you instead of him, you will never be happy. The writer of Ecclesiastes makes that perfectly clear. Now, here's another thing that we can glean from this specific passages. We aren't doing our kids any favors by giving them everything. You can't remove the fact that they're going to need, they need to work in this world. Because when you read that scripture, Solomon says, what am I doing all this work for? I'm going to turn around and give it to somebody, and they didn't work for it. Now, who's, who is he going to give it to? His children, his son. Now, Spoiler alert, you can go run this one down on yourself. What happened to the kingdom after Solomon was on the throne? It split into two. You had two kids. It didn't work out. We're not doing our kids any favors when we give them everything. They need to figure out the fact that they need to work as a Christian. They, they live in a fallen world, and it's not up to somebody else to give them everything. Their happiness is found in Christ not in the material things that you can give them. You can't shelter them from the fact that they live in a fallen world by giving them everything because you, you, you struggled and that you don't want them to. Now, now, that's a genuine love, but you're not doing them any favors. You see, when we put ourselves or others, in, or we put ourselves at the, at the center of our efforts, it always ends in futility. The text calls it vanity, but it's futility. And this is a vicious cycle that we all find ourselves in at one point in time in our lives. Now, how often do we find our spend time spent and a lot of energy on working on the next thing because we think it's going to make us happy? That next thing, you know, it's going to fulfill me, it's going to satisfy me. We're so constantly worried about what's next that we're missing what's going on right now and how God wants to use us today. See, an idol is anything that you give more attention to or affection to than God. And sometimes these are good things in and above above themselves, uh, a lot of times it can be our work. And that's what happens when we put work in this place and without God. That's what Ecclesiastes is talking about. It's when you get consumed by these things, then we have a problem. We have what Solomon describes in his text, striving after the wind. Now, these efforts that we just read through, is, are the effort, these work, the work we talked about, it's a picture of man's attempt to satisfy his desires. And the truth is there's absolutely nothing that you and I can do to fulfill our desires. That desire that you have inside is completely natural and it's God-given. That longing you have, that emptiness you have to be filled, it's God-given. 
but it can only be filled by God himself. Solomon tried, and he had way more resources at the tip of his fingers than you and I do, and he failed. So what do we do? Not work just because it ends in futility? We actually see that a lot, don't we? Uh, we work ourselves so much and so hard with the illusion in our heads that we won't have to work anymore. Well, if I just work harder and I get a raise, or if I just change from this position to the other position, I'll have more time. Or I'm just going to work this overtime until I get the fill-in-the-blank paid off. And then I'm going to have more time to spend with my family. None of those things have the right motive. Who's at the center of all these thoughts? You. Who's, who should be the center of all our thoughts and all our work as a Christian? God. Now remember the text here in Ecclesiastes is about man working for self. We're commanded to work, but it's the focus of our work that will give us satisfaction that we're looking for. Even when things go right, Ecclesiastes 2.23 was on the screen here earlier, for all his days, these are when things are going right, for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. This is, this is success according to the world. So all those rich people out there, if they don't have Christ, they're miserable. I can guarantee it. The Bible says so. You see, God does not remove the curse or the painful, sweaty uh, toil that we have, but he does replace the meaninglessness of it that Solomon describes here in this passage of Scripture. Here's a fun fact for you. You know, the average person in North America will spend about 90,000 hours at work at their place of employment. That's a third of their life at work. We looked at what the Bible has to say about working for self. Now let's do it the right way let's, and how it ends in futility. Let, let's look at how God's way because we will all work. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Okay, let's break that down. Whatever you do that you enjoy, no, that's not what it says, is it? Whatever you do that gives you satisfaction, work heartily so you'll have a better life, an easy life filled with comforts that bring you personal happiness. That's not what it says either. So you can't make the Bible say what it doesn't say just because it doesn't fit your way of thinking or the modern society's way of thinking. One of the things is, is uh, you may feel like your job is insignificant, but it's not. The books that we're reading, The Disciplines of a Godly Life, or The Disciplines of a Godly Woman, it points us out that there's no such thing as first or second class or third class Christians because we have different jobs when we leave this place. We all have a, a part to play, a role to play. Everything that a person does should be done with God at the center, not ourselves. And this is not what the world says. The world says it should be all about us. Colossians 3, 17, And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's break that verse down too. So whatever the pastor does in word and deed, no, that's not what it says either. Whatever the church staff does, no, that's not what it says either. It says whatever you do. Whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what your job is. There should be a distinction on you as a Christian on how you work, your ethics that you portray every day and who you represent. Everything should be done for God. And it can be really, and this, we're talking about work, but it can go into every aspect of your life, your whole life. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. See, ministry 
is what should naturally flow out of the Christian. Our lives in Christ are not just about Sunday mornings or an organized activity here at the church. Folks, you don't need a church program to be a Christian at your job. You don't need a church program to be a Christian in your neighborhood or your community. Someone is out there crying out, God help me, and God wants to use you to answer that prayer. So, what happens at church doesn't stay at church. You know what old saying, you know, what happens at Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens at church stays at church. No, you don't need a church program to go be a Christian. Have you ever said something to the effect like, uh, you know the church should really start a fill in the blank. Or, you know what ministry of this church, it really needs a fill in the blank. Maybe that's God speaking to you saying he, he wants to use you to make his will done within our body of believers and in our community. So you can glorify God with the work of your heart attitude. Let me say that again. You can glorify God with the work of your heart attitude. Have you ever been around somebody with a bad attitude? Not a lot of fun, is it? A Christian's attitude should have all the characteristics of enthusiasm, wholeheartedness, excellent, cheerfulness, all this stuff, no matter what your job is. It's all done for the glory of God, for, with His will in mind. Your conduct at work and how you do your job should always reflect who you are in Christ, a child of God, made in His image, purchased by His blood. Now, I'm going to come back to that point here in a, in a little bit, but who you are in Christ. But I want to make sure you understand that this, this point here. Your identity as a Christian is in Christ. Your work is a reflection of that. Your identity is not in your job. Have you ever seen two men greet themselves in the lobby that haven't seen each other in a long time and they don't know each other and they're getting to know each other? What's the first thing they talk about? Hey, what do you do for a living? It's, it's always about their job. It's always. It's not about your, your work is not your identity. The way we work will reveal how much we have allowed God to develop us. Set your hearts on this principle here, that your work matters to God. Your work does. Your work matters to God, no matter what job it is. It doesn't matter where in society you work, or what, even if you're not in the actual, what we call the workplace, even if you're at home, your work matters to God. Whether you're a CFO, or a high school or college kid that's got an after-school or after-class job, your work matters to God, and what you should do is do it for the glory of God and because you need the money. Side note, uh, for those of you in your 20s out there that aren't working, you need to get working. You, um, but also, those of you in your 20s and you're out there, your guy out there, and you're looking for a, a young woman to date, you know, one of the most successful pickup lines in our society today is, hey, baby, I have a job. True story, the end. Get a job. So, so far this morning, we covered work in the past, before sin, and how God was a worker and how man was a worker before the fall, and work how it is today, after the fall, how you and I experience it, and how we have the choice. We can either work for self or work for God, and how if we work for self, it's not going to work out, and you're not going to have any satisfaction. But if we work for God, then you're in the will of God, and you will be blessed, and you will be happy, and you will be fulfilled. You are still going to be working in a cursed world, but you will have that fulfillment. So now we take it back to the future. 
like I did that there, like the, the, the movie there. It's a great movie, right? Back to the Future. So, when you think of heaven, what comes to mind? Harps, floating on clouds, an endless worship service, nothing but singing of hymns, right? Well, a lot of times you'll hear people say things like this. Well, we just don't know about heaven now, and we won't until we get there. You heard that? Well, I'm here today to tell you that statement is not true. There's a lot we can know about heaven and not just speculation. See, our views of heaven tend to be skewed because what we take in our best experience here on earth, and we say things like, that's how it's going to be because we've experienced something really good. That's got to be how it's going to be in heaven. That sunset was gorgeous. That's got to be how it's going to be in heaven. So we take our best experience here on earth and say, extrapolate and say, well, that's how heaven's going to be. But you ready for this? There will be work in heaven. There will be work in heaven. Now, I know that's probably not what a lot of you wanted to hear. Maybe none of you never heard that before. But there will be work in heaven. Now, but remember, you're re relating the concept of work to your experiences that we have here now on earth, on the fallen earth. But work for us in the new heaven and the new earth will go back to how it was originally intended in the garden before sin entered God's creation. Remember, work isn't a part of the curse. Rather, it made the work menial and tedious and frustrating, especially if you're around people with a bad attitude. So when thinking of work, don't dwell on the thorns and the thistles that we experience now in our lives. Now, don't just take my word for it. Take the Scripture's word for it. Matthew 25, 23. This is Jesus speaking. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, it didn't say, it didn't say your joy. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, let's break that down a little bit. Set you over, in some translation says in charge of, means you will be active, occupied, carrying out tasks. But these tasks will not be you-centered. They will definitely be God-centered. Revelation 22.3. Now, this is the point in time where, spoiler alert, you're at the end of the Bible. And we've already gone through the tribulation of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And now we've got the new heaven and the new earth. And the, and the curse is going to be lifted. Revelation 22.3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Again, we are the servants there. We are servants. Servant is someone who is serving. Serving is active. Serving is a verb. You will be working. God is a worker, was a worker. Adam was a worker before the fall, and you and I will be working for God in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, if you really want to run this down even further, you can go to the book of Isaiah chapter 2. It's in there. It talks about after all, the, all is said and done, they're taking their swords and beating them into plowshares and their spears and beating them into pruning hooks. And there won't be any war and they won't train for war anymore. Now, what are they taking the weapons of war and making them into? It sounds to me, I mean, I, I, used, I know a little bit about it. That sounds like implements of work to me. Plows and pruning shears. So what will we be doing on this new heaven and new earth? Will we be exercising godly dominion over it, just like it was originally intended? Ruling it for God's glory? So there you have it, a quick little mini theology of work. Now here's the question for you right now. 
Remember that statement I said earlier I was going to come back to? The reality of who you are in Christ? Here's the question. Are you in Christ? Just because you come here faithful every Sunday morning does not mean you are in Christ. You are not in Christ because you live in what most Americans think is a Christian nation. You are not in Christ because you honestly think the good things in your life have outweighed the bad things that you've done. It's not a scale that's balanced. That does not mean you're in Christ. You are in Christ because of what he did at the cross, what he did at Calvary. You're in Christ because of his shed blood, if you accept that. Christ tells us in his word that he will redeem this creation that we live on, this earth. He will redeem it. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will not be a curse anymore at one point in time. When that is, I don't know. But we need to be ready for it when it happens. But he will redeem this creation. That's a fact. Here's the other fact. He wants to redeem you and I. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you in Christ? It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. It's because of his shed blood and sacrifice for your sin, not because of your efforts to be a good moral person who's trying their best in life. Our best doesn't cut it. Adam and Eve attempted to cover their shame with leaves. It didn't work for them, and our efforts won't work for us either. God took away their shame in the garden, and he will take away yours too if you accept him as your Savior. The only sacrifice for you, and only the difference is the sacrifice for you and I, is not the skins of animals. That first sacrifice that God did in the garden, the sacrifice for you and I is that shed blood at the cross. And Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf and on my behalf, because without it, we would have no hope. It's for what he did that makes us who we are in Christ. Our identity is not in our work. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your word that teaches us how to live and work and give you glory and honor. We pray, Father, that you would be with each and every individual that's in this room as we go our separate ways today and just apply this word to our lives to be more effective servants for you. Lord, we love you, and we pray that you use us for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.